Hey folks, Brian here. Uh, exciting, exciting news. My band, Ninja Sex Party, has a new album coming out on March 8th, and the album is called, and you might already know this, but if not, hold on to your pants. It's called These Nuts. That's right, These Nuts. You can go to ninjasexparty.com and get a copy over there. We're doing the thing we always do where you can get a, a signed copy for pre-order, and then once the album comes out on March 8th, uh, along with a new music video, what, with a special guest star, very exciting stuff. Uh, once the album comes out, you can get unsigned copies. So, uh, but pre-order a copy, we'd really appreciate it. This album has been four years in the making. This is the one we wrote over COVID uh, and beyond. It's been a really, honestly, one of our biggest challenges ever as a band to make and produce this album. Uh, so I just really appreciate your support. And ninjasexparty.com is the place to get that album. Also, as always, for this show, you can go to patreon.com slash late night to sign up there uh, at any tier to get video episodes or uh, at the two or three peach tier for mini episodes and more. All right. Thank you so much for your support and enjoy this great episode with longtime NSP and Starbomb collaborator Patrick Stannard from Knights of the Light Table. Are you wearing the twerp IBS shirt? Wow. I'm really sad that I don't own one of those. Loyalty. Considering how accurate it is to my life now. <laughs> Patrick, when was the last time you saw Twerp perform live? Last time they were in Austin, I'd Austin. say. Or no, I think they were in San Antonio. Did you but- see their uh their AI run tour? I guess is what I'm asking. No, I haven't seen that yet. Okay, so they have a new entity that controls all aspects of the twerp show named Grob, all hail Grob, who, <laughs> uh, who, who, who masterminds everything about the twerp live performance and will continue to in the upcoming tour, which will feature some smooth jazz from a certain affiliated party. Um, and I, we actually are, we're coming through Austin. Yes, uh, I know in that. In the near future. <laughs> uh, and hopefully we'll see you there. I, I don't think I'm spilling the beans here. This is another Grob uh, grob run show and in fact you can now look i don't know why i'm i'm shilling for this band other well actually i do because i love because they're bad guys because they're bad people that's right bad people who will punish me physically and financially <laughs> if i don't promote this tour grob really runs with an iron fist doesn't he yes he does. you can join the official grob fan club is that that's mandatory right yeah, you of have course. to join the grob fan club <laughs> yes it, 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 that's right mandatory fandom uh, actually, that's a really good album title. Uh, <laughs> write that down. Uh, but yes, you can get a little card for uh, official member of the Grob fan club, and it's 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 kind of a big deal. It comes with a locator microchip that's inserted in the back of your neck. Well, yeah, Grob has to know where you are. How else can yeah. Grob provide excellent service if Grob doesn't know <laughs> your precise location? I mean, it's it's ridiculous that people would. <laughs> Grob How to know is where they Grob going to drone strike your home? I mean, it's <laughs> just a not basic to he has. enough, right? The, well, Grob is very kind. Um, in addition to being all-knowing, Grob is is all he's benevolent, uh, all feeling. That's right. He's a benevolent uh, entity. And if you're not listening to Twerp enough, you get three warnings before the drone strike happens. And that's, <laughs> that's more good. that's more than most. That's more yeah. than most would give. We have to admit that. Albeit that the first two are silent, but you'll hear <laughs> the third one. <laughs> you, you'll kind of get a sense that the vibe is off with Grob. Like yeah. the recommendations don't seem quite as targeted to Grob's specific starting to shake interests. a little bit. That's right. Yeah. 
but what I was going to say is when I was talking about this with twerp, uh, when I saw them recently in Toronto, I recalled that many years ago on social media, I announced the official NSP fan club as sort of a joke, which I still feel like we should do something. It was called the Ninja Brian Turnt Bay Squad. And <laughs> Ninja Brian Turnt Bay Squad. Yes, the Ninja Brian Turnt Bay Squad. And there were all sorts of benefits that you get by joining, which there was no, you know, instructions for doing so. So it's more <laughs> of just an emotional thing. But I've always loved the Ninja Brian Turnt Bay Squad. And as as that slang gets increasingly out of date. That is, only that is a hell funnier. of an acronym to make. NBTBS. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but now, Layton, you didn't have much of a reaction to that at all. What do you <laughs> feel about the, the Ninja Brian turn base squad? Would you consider yourself a part of it? Oh, absolutely not. No. Okay. Did you hear my ALEXA popping in at that moment? The little known oh, no. fact, I when didn't. you hear that sound, it often means that Grob is listening. So <laughs> you might think that it's your Amazon ALEXA. A-L-E-X-A. Be mindful. You can only displease Grob three times. <laughs> that's right. Uh, yes. Candyman rules. <laughs> and that's yeah. two and a half. Bloody yeah. Mary rules. Anyway, Grob's listening and Grob disapproves of Ninja Brian's Turnt Bay Squad. As he should. I'll, I'll discuss with Grob uh, when we're on when we're on tour together. <laughs> All right. I have a direct line to Grob, so don't <laughs> I love the phrase, me. I will discuss with Grob. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This is this is an exciting show. This is so I, I was saying before to our guest who we'll we'll talk to in a minute. Ever since the start of this show, I was like, oh man, I should reach out to to Patrick to have him on. And because that is a task, I didn't do it. So with a new project, I was like, oh, now's the time. So I'm very excited to have a longtime collaborator of mine and Danny's on the show. We've been working together for many years now in various capacities. Uh, and we'll talk about it. As soon as I introduce the show, because everybody, this is Leighton Night with Brian Weck. My name is Brian Weck. Over here, as always, we have Leighton Gray. Say hi, Leighton Gray. Hi, I'm Leighton Gray. I've started my fourth rewatch of True Detective in two weeks, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm vibing on it. And mystery guest, wow. whose name has totally not been said multiple times already. Yes. Who are you? I am Patrick. I am here. I am he. I am Pat. Uh <laughs> And Brian is correct. I've been working with uh, NSP, TWRP for a long time. Matter of fact, y'all were one of the reasons I made Knights of the Light Table in the first place, which is kind of a segue into that's what my main thing is. is I I am the runner, the owner, the king of Knights of the Light Table. Uh, And when I'm not doing that, I'm over at Powerhouse Animation, directing television shows and animating on things and doing all sorts of things like that. Yeah, and for those of those, those people listening who don't know, can you say what Knights of the Light Table is in case it's not obvious? It's an animation studio. Uh, we mainly do music videos, uh, but we'll do little commercial projects uh, here and there. We have kind of an, an eclectic style. We can do big range of things. Like I, I like to point out um, Starbomb blowing the payload uh, mm-hmm. is so wildly different from like you know, Night Runner Magnum Bullets, which is so different from Starlight Brigade, but they're all really well animated. Just sorry, re- real quick to interrupt. We do not discuss Dan Avidan's solo projects on this particular show. Oh. So there's a strict moratorium. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, oh. of course. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, we're about to get some deep lore all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's, uh, of course, we can we can talk about that. I just won't comment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do know that when we worked on Heartboner, 
Yes. Uh, which I remember I, I pitched you guys, uh, or at least I pitched Dan a, a title for it, for it, which was Cardiac Erect, but they didn't go for it. <laughs> oh, I don't remember that one. That's really good, though. <laughs> that's great, yes. But that's when we learned that Ninja Brian, uh, even in animated form, never blinks. Never blinks. Mm. Yep. That's a, it saves you some time. Yeah. yeah it's three that's frames, right. technically. <laughs> it's, it, it, a fa- it's a famous maxim of uh, animation is that blinking is where most of the time goes in animation. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, the fact that my character doesn't blink is really more of a public service to the animators <laughs> we work with than, than a character. It, it is still one of my favorite shots, though, is just that the Ninja Brian horse is slowly turning to the camera. Oh, I love that. My, my <laughs> So was that I'm trying to remember, was was that the first thing we did together? I think it was right. Was it? Well, uh, so there is that one and there's the no comment Night Runner project. Oh, right. So technically we started Night Runner first, but we finished Heart Boner before we finished Night Got Runner. Got it. Because Night Runner w- wasn't a thing, all joking aside, that was just not a thing I was really involved with at all. That was a Danny mm-hmm. thing. So that's something yeah. you guys were working on at the same time as, as Heart Boner was, yeah. was happening. Cool. But all, all those projects, like there's still so many people from those first two that I get to work with that I'm so happy. Like Renee Violet um, is so amazing, does mm-hmm. backgrounds for so many of our projects. And I still, you know, Michael and India uh, yep. are huge. And uh, those were very formative projects uh, for us yeah. as a studio and for me as an artist. Well, and for us as a band too, like that's, that's right around the time in no small part due to the work you guys did that I felt like our videos really leveled up, went from mm-hmm. like looking one way to looking a lot better and <laughs> having that, you know, I remember when we saw the first animatics or whatever it was for the Heartboner animation, I was like, what the fuck is going on? This is like so much better than anything we've done before. Oh God. I mean like the urge, like from an animator standpoint, like the opportunity, even though it was like from a comedic standpoint to do like, like a faithful adaptation of like Disney musicals, you yeah. know, like it's, it's the prince is the princess. Like that ballroom scene is basically just from oh, Beauty and the Beast. Of course. But that's what <laughs> makes it great. I mean, look, my band would be nothing without, some would call it stealing. I call it homage. <laughs> and that's part of what it is. Like sincere satire. That's yes, indeed. And, and you know, uh, Beauty and the Beast, a movie that meant a lot to me as a kid growing up. I love that movie. I love the songs. Like it's fun to have a version of that or uh, uh, shall we charitably say a reference to that in my own work for sure. I, I, I loved it. I don't know if I have it here. I might have it at my office at Powerhouse, but I definitely did a print of that fresco that Renee oh. painted. The creation of man one. Yes. <laughs> Dude. Okay. I thought this would be one of the greatest pieces of NSP merch ever. There's a creation of man, uh, reference where mm-hmm. it, it's us and twerp, right? In this thing. And Dr. Sung has the chunkiest little leg in this thing. <laughs> He's got this little Ru- meaty leg. Even. Oh, it's, it, it's, it's, it's so great. Let me find the specific timestamp because I have been obsessed with Dr. Sung's meaty little leg in this particular <laughs> thing. Hold on. Let me find this. While you find that, Patrick, how did you first meet this squad? How did you get involved with Brian and the rest of the rascals? Surprisingly enough, uh, through Game Grumps. So when, uh, God, I think it was 2013. Um, I was really kind of itching to get some sort of like just creative outlet. Sometimes you have that happen, right? Like powerhouse has come a long way 
as a studio. And when I first joined Powerhouse, we were still working on things like, you know, Jasper the Mule. Uh, and we were working on like baseball smarts and we we're doing a lot of little commercials. Like those are fun, but like a lot of the rule of that is like, this is on a budget, get this out fast. Like you need to be efficient, make it good, but make it done on time. And so I was like itching for like, I just wanted to do my thing. And my thing wasn't always necessarily like uh, profitable. <laughs> it was always weird. And so in Game Grumps was really kind of like growing uh, at that point. And Game Grumps animators were really hot. And I, I remember listening to some audio and it was Aaron and Danny were kind of riffing off this idea of Baloney Man as like this like horror kind of Halloween uh, like series. Mm-hmm. Uh, of movies and so they're just like baloney man coming this friday and then dan would rough off that and they'd kind of go back and forth and so i was like i'm gonna grab little snippets i'm gonna make little vignettes and animated it did that one and then that led to another one which was uh from their playthrough of think of inside and i did like as if it was akira and this is just you, really, you solo doing this it's right? just me solo but from those dan found out about like me as an animator uh, and he reached out and he said, hey, I have this, like, this is the one we first started, which is Night Runner. He said, like, I have this project. It's with, like, just a couple of guys. You're a really good animator. I'd love to work with you on this. And I saw it as an opportunity to, like, just have a lot of creative freedom and a lot of fun. And so, like, immediately dived into that. And then while we were working on that, he was like, hey, why are you doing this? Now we got this other really cool thing that's happening and this needs animation. And I was like, but cool, I'll make, I'll get a team together. And, you know, we already had, like, Michael and India who were helping me on Night Runner, and so like we then went out and got like Renee, uh, and we made the second team, and those two projects were happening at about the same time. That's crazy. And this this was like 2016, probably. Is that right? I think so. Yeah. And now, dude. I mean, what? Uh, obviously, I, I'm taking no credit for this when I when I say this, but what an amazing trajectory from like, hey, doing fan animations for Game Grumps to co-directing the like masters of the universe shows that have been on right now. I mean, that that's like nuts. And like, honestly, like those music videos had a big hand in that, you know, like directing's it's no small feat. And a lot of times in this industry, when you want to direct something, the first question people ask you is like, well, what have you directed? You know, these shows cost millions and millions of dollars. Oh, I can't even imagine. We're going to hand you millions and millions of dollars. We need to, some insurance that we're going to get a return on investment that you're going to do yes. good quality. And um, so those, those are a big uh, way and help me to move up to directing status. Oh, that's amazing to hear. And then, so I'm trying to think what, so the, the last thing we did together was mystic crystal. Yes. And I'm trying to remember we have, I think how many videos do we have? Like NSP is like 70 music videos, so I can't keep them all straight. <laughs> Dude, there was something else, right? That we all did. And I'm just forgetting what it is. Uh, in terms of NSP, I think there was Heart Boner. There's Mystic Crystal. Uh, was there C- another Star NSP? One is, it was just Starbomb. Not NSP. That was, yeah. Yeah, was Starbomb. And then there was Night Runner. And I'm trying to think if there's any other music to, videos. By the way, uh, 222 is the timestamp that I'm referring to in the Heart Boner video. Oh, nice. Yes. Uh, let me look through here because there's, I feel like there was one other thing, but maybe not. Yeah, Mystic Crystal, yeah. Night Runner, Starlight Brigade. Starbomb blowing the payload, heart boner. So fun. Yeah. Okay. That was it. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I love that blowing the payload video. Too. <laughs> that was a really fun one to work so on. So yeah. fun. That's a very interesting Starbomb song to me because in between when we wrote that and when the thing came out, Overwatch had peaked and dropped. 
And so we <laughs> we definitely did not catch Overwatch at the peak of its popularity. I, I love that song still, but I do remember when it came out, it was like, well, okay, maybe we kind of missed the the peak on that, but that's bound to happen. A, people were still playing it, but also that's just bound to happen when there's, as there always is for our albums at this point, a year between writing, recording, and mm-hmm. uh, and release. But I do, I love that. I love that video. And also, for, you know, actually, for Starbomb, I don't think we talked about this ever. For Starbomb, that particular one was a very, it was kind of an important song musically for us because it was, so we recorded that at Sonic Ranch with Twerp, and that was one of the few songs on that third album that was very sample-based. And, you know, there's like that banjo thing that that happens a bunch. I don't think Twerp is playing on that at all. It's all samples. Oh, really? Maybe some keyboard huh. stuff I'm doing, yeah. And after hearing that song, I was like, oh, this is what I want the next Starbomb album. If we ever do a fourth album, I want <laughs> I want to do samples because it's it was so fun and it's not something I've worked with much before myself. Let's do it. And now the fourth Starbomb album is coming out at some point later this year. And it is heavily sample driven. And it's very, very good. <laughs> well, I'm glad. Thank you. And I say that as somebody who hates Starbomb. <laughs> yes, which is most people. That's not true. I haven't, I, I hadn't listened to like several intermediate albums, but I was going to say that there is one particular song off of the new album for mm-hmm. a game that I play a lot that mm-hmm. won't leave my fucking head. Oh, uh, interesting. You, do you know which one I'm talking about? It, it, do I have a part, a vocal part in this one? You do. Towards the end? Yeah, I know which one you're talking about. <laughs> that might be my favorite song Starbomb's ever done. Oh, wow. That's great to hear. I mean, I still like saying regretroid in my head all the time but Dude, like i'm a huge fucks. i'm a huge fucking metroid fan so oh shit yeah yeah rules i love regretroid hey it's just a fun song lyrically hey this album is now more than 10 years old mm-hmm. the first star by mountain came out in 2013 oh my god it's 10 years old the player select is 10 years old this year the first album is now going to be, ele- I guess it just, it was like fall or winter, wow. I mean, December Dear 2013. So we just God. passed the 10 year anniversary. <laughs> but mu- musically, like I listened back to that first Starbomb album and I've loved hip hop for years and, you know, always was curious about if I could write it. And that was a fun opportunity to like, just do a bunch of hip hop tracks. So that one was a hundred, like that production wise, that's a hundred percent me instrumentally just sitting in mostly my in-laws house in Minnesota over various breaks from teaching physics to come up with some, (laughs) I remember writing the Castlevania backing track on my in-laws bed in their at like loft bedroom and just sitting up there with a, you know, four octave MIDI controller attached to a laptop and writing Castlevania and being like, sounds like a vibe. Yeah, but that's how a lot, a lot of, you know, for a while, NSP and Starbomb instrumentals were written, just MIDI controller. That's honestly how you have to pass time in the Midwest, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, just, just to finish the thought, that Overwatch song, I love that video, and musically it turned out to be kind of the direction the band moved for the next album. But yeah, I actually, so you mentioned the Midwest. Uh, I, I realize, Patrick, I know very little about you as a human being. Mm. So can you say, where, where did where did you grow up? I grew up in Michigan. 
Detroit, Kalamazoo are kind of like the main two spots that I did most of my growing up. Oh, I see. Okay, got it. Been to Ann Arbor a couple times, been to Lansing, been to the UP, all that. But like mostly like yep. my growing up was in those those two areas. So A, I lived in Ann Arbor for a little while. So I wouldn't say I know Michigan well, but I did live there uh, legally. I lived there and <laughs> enjoyed it. Would you call Michigan the Midwest? I've always yeah. been curious about this. Okay. Michigan's like, I think the heart of the Midwest, honestly, like it's, it's farmland and it's also Rust Belt towns. Like it's, yes. that's where the auto industry is at. Like it's so much of it is quintessential Midwest, which is like flat, cold, no good food. Sorry. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and then like a lot of like old cities that used to be factory towns. Yes. When you moved away from Detroit, Detroit was not having its best years, I'm assuming. No. When I left Detroit was in 2011. Like that was the time when a lot of the old buildings that were starting to get purchased and yeah. torn down and starting to get replaced. But I haven't been back there since. And I hear that it's like gentrified as hell. So it's like, yeah, Oof. it looks way different. I, I remember like Detroit, people would get freaked out. You know, they'd visit me and they'd be like, oh, someone's setting off fireworks. And I'm like, no. <laughs> Those aren't fireworks. When I was making the least amount of money in my entire life, I lived across from a meth lab. Mm-hmm. And I was a naive kid. So I was like, well, I was like, wow, look at all these random people showing up, just kind of vegging out on the porch. Yeah. And then one day it caught fire because the meth lab exploded. Oh my God. Wow. And then it gentrified and now it's a meth laboratory. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> but like, I just remember like the, it, Huge fire. They put the fire out and then the people just went right back in. And oh, I was like, God. I need to go. Yeah. <laughs> I need to find somewhere else to live. That's actually, that's <laughs> the year. So I just lived in Michigan for a year and change. And that's the year I moved out to. I was there like 2010, 2011. And oh, yeah. I've been been back to Ann Arbor and Detroit for gigs, you know, since then, but not enough to really get a sense of, of what it's like these days. Patrick, where did the love of art and animation start for you? Like, what was your journey uh, with developing that interest? Uh, I would say probably, like, definitely young. I was, like, the only kid who drew when I was, like, a kid. I didn't have, like, a lot of friends. I just kind of had, like, one that I saw every now and then. It was mostly just kind of me and my world. And I just kind of, like, everything else could go do its thing. And I was going to go do my thing. So very socially awkward, very weird, spazzy kid. Um, and not, then, not, not like a Brian Weck type popular, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like it was, it was the point where like even teachers were like, what the hell, Patrick? Like you gotta, you gotta it's, fix some of this stuff. Dude, I, I had, <laughs> I, except for the drawing, this is very relatable. Oh me. yeah. Yes. This is exactly who I was. Yeah. For, for me, relatable down to the drawing also. So I think right. we're all <laughs> spirits here. But like, that's where like it started. And then eventually I went to. I actually went to CCS, which is across the way from Wayne State uh, in Detroit, and it's like a private art college. What does CCS stand for? College for Creative Studies. Okay. And I know it's more expensive now. When I went there, it was about $30,000 a year. Mm-hmm. So I came out with about like one hundred twenty grand in student debt. Fuck. I hate that like hearing that price, uh, my brain goes, oh, that's cheap compared to... Because, you know, I also went to art school. I yeah, they're all like up like 15 more thousand now a year. Than more than that, even at that time, like when I was applying yeah. in like 2015 or whatever, where it's like even getting large scholarships from all of those places, it was like, who can afford this? Hello? Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, a lot of me and my friends, like they're all like paying off their debt in their 30s, basically. Yeah. Like, 
And that's if you're gainfully employed. Right. In the arts field, which famously pays amazing. (laughs) I think about that a lot. It's like the information to get good at art, to like hone your craft is so readily available now. I love uh, all the friends and the teachers I made at CCS. But if I'm to be brutally honest, um, you know, their whole thing was like, oh, well, like we just give you the skills. We don't guarantee employment. Yeah. By, by the way, is w- would you call what's incoming? Is this a hot take? Yes. This. Okay. Hold on. It, Excuse is me. Is there a sound effect? <laughs> Cancel me, daddy. Okay. Continue. <laughs> All right. So I would say that, like, if if you're charging someone as much as like a really like nice house, you should guarantee a job. <laughs> <laughs> maybe when it was like $15,000 total, it's like, okay, mm-hmm. you're just giving skills and you're like paying them for their hours, but like, and for the facilities, but like, I can't imagine anything else where they don't guarantee you something for spending like 120 to $200,000. Or maybe even a plausible path to yeah. <laughs> earning a living in that field. Right. Like yeah. even if it wasn't a guarantee, just something where it's like, it, it, the the odds of success, and by success I mean like any kind of gainful employment in the arts, whatever artistic field, are so stacked against you that it is at this point for exactly the reason you say it feels predatory to charge mm-hmm. people that much for something. A you can largely get the basic information of for free online, mm-hmm. and B the secret to doing well at is just doing it a lot you know, and getting better and better and better. Yeah. Like, like learning the, the skills of the trade, right? Like, right. so it's, if, if you want to learn how to cook or if you want to learn how to do woodworking, like you talk to someone who's done a lot of woodworking, like, Oh, you don't want to do a dovetail joint like this. You want to do it like this so that you can make everything mm-hmm. mesh. And it's same thing with art. I think the the main thing that like schooling does give you that's hard to do on your own is, is one is like kind of a forced motivator. Mm-hmm. It'll force you to do things that maybe you wouldn't do normally yourself. So it's like, you're going to have to learn life drawing. It's like, but I don't want to do life drawing. You got to do it. And you will, and you find skills that way that you wouldn't normally look for. And I think the other one is in uh, community Uh, fellow students. Like these are going to be your peers, people who you're going to connect with later on. But now with like discord and with, you know, X Twitter, whatever the hell it's called now. It's called uh, X. Okay. <laughs> Tumblr, like uh, uh, with all these things, um, you can get a semblance of that, but you're not meeting a lot of these people in person as yes. much. Totally yeah. true. And you you pretty much only have, I think, because, you know, I went to Savannah College of Art and Design for like two oh, years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow. Wait, hold, hold on. It has that much of a rep outside of it? Oh, yeah, baby. There are a lot of SCAD people in the industry. And I don't think I've heard a good story from any of them. Wow. No. Okay. Good to know. Uh, so I went there for two years. I was in the illustration and sequential arts program because I wanted to make comics, which feels unfathomable to me now. But I really felt, aside from being the most depressed I've ever been in my life for a variety of reasons, I was just like, 
I grew up drawing stuff on DeviantArt in the internet. This is not giving me really anything that I didn't know other than that sort of forced motivation of, you know, the cute jokey thing that staff always does of sleep comes after death. That's what <laughs> SCAT stands for. Uh, oh, just that wow. intense level of having to do stuff to the point that like now at 26, I look at my art from that period and like the year after I dropped out and I'm like, why isn't my stuff as good? Like I'm worse now. But then it's like, because you were spending every waking moment until like 4am every single day drawing constantly. It's like for a semester, fill up this 100 page sketchbook along with all the other assignments that you have to do. And you need to do a real life three point perspective drawing, but you're not allowed to take a photo of it. You have to go on location to the place that we started doing this in Savannah and the three points needs to be perfect. And you need to have four different figures in them and one needs to be sitting like. And that's one of your credits. That's not all the other 12. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) I'm glad that I became successful with game development and was able to get out of that zone podcasting. of stuff. Yes. I also wish that they would stop apparently throwing my name around as a SCAD alumnus. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. Which I don't like hearing that, especially yeah. because they were so actively hostile towards me when I was like, I'm working on a video game. And they would be like, oh, yeah, sure you are. Anyway. (laughs) I I am very interested because this is something you absolutely see at, A, in a lot of different industries. So this is not comprehensive. But in the sciences, famously at places like MIT or Caltech or whatever, it's this thing where it's like, you're going to want to fucking die. It's You're going to be in hell for however many years until you get through this. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, at MIT, the acronym that everybody says is IHTFP, which stands for I hate this fucking place. <laughs> or or uh, some older alums will say, if you, you know, if MIT, MIT is your jam, it stands for I have truly found paradise. It's like an old MIT kind of meme from God knows when, 40 years it's ago. It's a hell of a scale. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's something you see a lot in the sciences, which is like, you're just going to, you're going to not sleep. You're going to be up, you know, constantly churning out problem sets, trying to do labs, whatever it is. And it's, it's gotta be bad, right? It's like objectively bad. You're in so much competition, like with your fellow students as well. Like, and that's one of the issues that like we run into professionally as well, where like, you know, it's like, I'm going to charge this much for this out for these many hours because that's what I think we're worth. And that's like a living wage. And then there's like, right. All right, here comes some other person. Like, well, I'm willing to work for half of that and I'm going to bust my butt. And it's like, you're hurting yourself and us Yes, by doing that. But also like, if you're just trying to eat and you don't have any money, it's like, I can't fault someone for trying to, you know, put food on their table. That's right. And, and th- then you somewhat rely on the people holding the the purse strings to pay people a reasonable wage, which is something they are not known to do typically, no. right? <laughs> yes. Why why pay this much when I can pay much less? Yeah, it's exactly. Pretty simple math in that in that scenario, and that's that's difficult. It's it's something that like I run into a lot, especially with nights, right. um, because like as uh, cost of living goes up. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it used to be when we first started nights, like back in like, again, like 2016, it was like 20, $25 an hour for like a subcontractor. Young artist was like something. Now mm-hmm. I learned from some lessons that like, well, I needed to start charging more. And I, you know, 
hindsight's twenty twenty. Like now, I, I I make sure that I'm charging for like licenses for like programs like uh, Photoshop and Toon Boom and all that kind of stuff, and I make sure I cover operating costs and studio yep. fees and things like that. But now, like the base rate is like thirty thirty five, like base. Wow, that's where like I start because that's like that's wild, yeah. what you need to survive. Like rent's so flipping high everywhere that like yeah, if, if I'm not paying someone like that, then they can't work full time. And especially this feels really acute for me because I have different monetizable skills and I find when I do like a writing gig for me is really easy because I can sit at my computer and I can type out words, right? But then I do an art gig where I will spend 16 hours doing an illustration or something and it's such like you are literally pulling something from nothing and have to portray it accurately. And I just, I feel so much more stressed out when I'm doing visual art stuff, Hmm. or at least like if it's concepting and it can be rough, that's fine. But when it's like final polished art, it's exhausting. And so to be paid really little for art stuff, especially animation, like, I don't know, it, it, takes like a visible toll on pe- on a lot of artists i think like yeah. it's a there's very a psychology palpable yeah there's a certain type of person who gels really well with the kind of pressure that you're under in that sort of position there's this weird thing like like to kind of like speak to like artists not being paid a lot and like there's this weird thought that like doing art as a profession is fulfilling in a way that others aren't. Because when you use the word art versus craft, people don't think of you doing a job. Mm -hmm. They think of you expressing yourself and being creative. And a lot of times, you know, people who hold the purse strings, a lot of times those are people who didn't pursue a creative profession. And so I think there's this weird permeating thought that like, oh, well, the artist is being fulfilled in a way that I'm not. So my compensation is more money. But their compensation is like half fulfillment and then they can get less money. You're just drawing. You're just doing this creative thing. Like, well, you would do this for free. Like, why can't you do this for me? Like, you're having fun, right? For <laughs> exposure. Like- well, the, the other thing is you're often working for people who have no idea how to do or communicate what they want in the thing you're doing. So I'm curious for both of you, actually, can you think of a particularly weird or dumb note that someone has given you for a visual art thing that just made no sense and was stupid. Yes. Yeah. Is there anything you'd like to mention (laughs) anonymously? Yes. There's one that like, this wasn't given to me directly, but it was given to my friend Mel. uh, If it was me that gave the note, by the way, I'm going to (laughs) apologize. Wasn't anything NSP related. Uh, It was uh, for a religious organization. Okay, and mm. it was these little cartoon birds, and one of the birds was was going to represent Jesus, and mm. they were just like, "You need to make him look more religious, <laughs> just like it's bird." Like I don't. We, so the uh, answer to that though is to make him look up and to the right. Oh, okay. That that worked. That's that's what made him. Oh my god, there he is. Great. It's like a reverse <laughs> JFK. <laughs> uh that bird's too secular. Yeah, that's right. That bird doesn't look like it believes in God. Change it. <laughs> uh, Layton, yes. I won't go into specific dumb notes because that just kind of comes, like you just have to accept if this is what you want to do, that is going to be your entire bread and butter of doing notes that you disagree with and don't want to do. But the general Murphy's Law throughout my entire artistic career is 
knowing that if you come at a client with thumbnails, they're going to pick the one you hate. There is never any (laughs) variation. They're going to pick the one that you hate. It doesn't matter how good the other ones are. So never draw a thumbnail that you don't feel okay taking to the final because that is the one that they are going to pick every goddamn time. (laughs) Can I defend clients a little bit though? Go for it. Like I think sometimes though artists do because you you do get weird notes and they don't you don't understand it. Like the initial knee jerk reaction is like this is dumb. They don't understand what the hell is going on. But like. In honesty, that is somewhat your job. You're like yeah. you're talking to someone who's like, "Hey, I, you're the expert. Like, I need your help." And like, there there's moments when the ask is a little bit too uh, forward, perhaps, or like not respecting of the fact that like you know what the hell you're talking about. But uh, in general, like our job is to take like like someone who doesn't speak our language as well and try to find the note behind the note, and that's a good element of it. Which is like, don't ever give a client something that you don't want to do like if if you don't want to work on this this particular design don't give it to them because there's yeah. that chance they might pick it and if you gave it to them like well you gave me all three why can't i pick this one if you didn't want me to yeah. pick it <laughs> yeah in in music this is the, the the rough analog is don't send someone a demo if you're not willing to use particular elements from it right mm. or, or that they might just take and then post to be like here's the finished song you know, oh shit! I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> like, Terror. it is is very unlikely to happen. I actually, I did a demo for something recently, and I made it purposefully not great, just so that nobody could interpret it as a finished product. <laughs> you know, because that that's the nightmare: is someone taking a work in progress and posting it and being like, "Look, it's done," and here's the person that did it. Look at this incompetent oaf, you know, who doesn't even know how to produce a song or whatever. Yeah, I don't think of. Memory. I think that's something that's unique to music. I haven't really heard of that happening in visual arts that much. Oh, I, I have an equivalent, and this has happened maybe once or twice. I love when people want to get tattoos of art. I'm always happy if somebody asks if they can do it, and I will nine times out of ten say yes. I have had people get tattoos of sketches that they didn't ask me about, and <laughs> oh, were not yes. finished I remember art. You talking about, yeah. And it's like, God bless you. That is sweet. That's awesome that it's on your body. That was just a sketch. It was not a finished yeah. thing. And now you have it on your body forever. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I think that's that's a similar equivalent. You could also take that as uh, speaking to the prowess of your sketches. You're yeah. giving much more generous takes on these things, Patrick. <laughs> and I appreciate it. Uh, I think there's just an existential horror to that. <laughs> So Patrick, when you were, when you were a kid, what were your big, and this is such a cliched question, but I'm always interested in it. What were your big, like, what were your things? What were your influences artistically, you know, visually, whatever. A lot of like 80s sci-fi. Yeah. Such as, let's be specific uh, here. I saw RoboCop way too young. Sure. Uh, I I loved like aliens. Um, Mm. A lot of that stuff. I, I actually initially wanted to get into game design initially concept art because I, I loved uh, Star Wars. I was a huge Star Wars fan as a kid. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, like it was the the generic, like kind of boyish things, right? It was Star Wars. It was like a lot. Of, I played with Legos, played like Halo very early on and I got really into Halo and I never played it, but I watched a friend play the game Command and Conquer and I got weirdly, mm-hmm. I have weird obsessions. It just happens. Like <laughs> I get super obsessed with something for like a while and I got obsessed with like making my own armies and that got me into like world building. 
Uh-huh. And I would go to friends like, like, what kind of army would you have? Like, I don't know, Pat. Like, I don't know <laughs> you're talking about. Like, this one's got artillery, and then this one's got hover tanks, and they're just like yeah. in all like these are, like <laughs> thumbnails. But yeah, like all uh, like very much like kind of 80s sci-fi horror, all the classics, um, mm-hmm. everything from Screamers to Predator, oh. Terminator, like all that stuff. Screamers. People do not talk about Screamers a lot, but Screamers is fucking cool. Yeah, remember to smoke your reds. Yeah, <laughs> and there's four, five of them. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I just knew the first one. <laughs> oh no, th- there's. I think there's at least four screamers. Well, or, or am I wrong? I might be wrong. Actually, I don't know. Yeah, that's got Peter Weller in it as well. That's correct. Yes, yeah. Peter Weller is in screamers. I love Peter Weller. Peter Weller is one of my all-time favorite actors. I'm a huge Buckaroo Banzai fan. Always have been. Have you seen the RoboCop Oreo thing? No. Oh my God, there's this, it's an interview. It's like behind the scenes footage. And there's some like, he was a, he was a technician or a stagehand or, or a gaffer or something. Mm-hmm. But he was like, apparently shooting for RoboCop uh, in like the steel mill and like Peter Weller's in the full suit. And apparently this guy, the, this is the, this, this guy's telling the story, right? So mm-hmm. he's telling it to the cameraman and he's like, and I was there and I had these Oreos and I was eating Oreos. And Peter Weller said, Robo wants an Oreo. <laughs> he was like what he goes robo wants an order he's like and he wouldn't give it to him and then apparently he said peter weller went to the edge and like started screaming to the whole steel mill robo wants an oreo and they call him up give a robo a fucking oreo and he like apparently stuffed oh the whole oreos in his mouth and and didn't give him one and after the whole story they just cut to peter weller and he's like i don't know about this guy and his fucking oreo <laughs> <laughs> uh that's awesome peter weller also i believe has a phd in our history and is a jazz trumpeter oh. What? Uh, yep. Cool fucking that. person. And is in the best fringe episode, White Tulip. Uh, <laughs> and is it just in a, a million cool fucking things? Kudos for him for art history. If, if, but that's a note I would give to any young artist is like art history, like very few artists will study on their own time. Mm-hmm. Like a school will make you study. Study art history. It'll expand your horizons as an artist like yes. so much. Those were like my favorite class. It, it is really dependent on having a good teacher. Yeah. Uh, but the art history classes were my favorite thing in the world until I got a guy who is the worst professor slash teacher I've ever had. And I dropped Uh-oh. out of the course midway through the semester because oh, damn. A, he was horrible. He clearly didn't want to be there and didn't want to teach. B, was so incredibly strict with grading that like on the first assignment that we all did, the entire class got D's and it made it so it was impossible. Like even if you aced every other subsequent assignment, you wouldn't Mm. get above like a B or a C in the class. The worst part is that we had a person who was a scorch at my time at SCAD who anybody who had a class with this person like knew exactly who you were talking about. Mm -hmm. But this professor would just entertain this person who would never shut up and treated every single class like it was a personal conversation they were having with the professor. And there were a lot of professors who would shut this person down hard. And this guy would just like let this person monopolize the entire class time with whatever stupid thing they wanted to talk about that wasn't even about art history. And that that was my breaking point was another student in a class that already sucked. So... Mm. Hey, if you're in college, don't do that. Even if you were homeschooled, please stop. <laughs> it is a shame that like colleges are full of kids in their late teens and early twenties, because if there was more 30 year olds, 
that shit wouldn't fly. If I if I had the confidence that I do now when I was an 18-year-old, there's so much bullshit I wouldn't have to deal with. Oh, my God. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> it, 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 it's very and, – and I get it, right? It's it's a formative time. But, yes, there should be – this is such a bad idea, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, well, I guess this is what grad school is for, fucking, right? Like, this, <laughs> is, this was the greatest part about being in grad school is people are a bit more mature and also – Everyone really wants to be there. So a lot of times with college, right, you have people who just do it because they're done with high school and it seems like the natural thing to do, which is not not necessarily a bad thing, but it does make for a case where a lot of people are just kind of there wasting time. Mostly, and this is not 100% true in grad school, but mostly in grad school, people are very excited to be there. They want to do the thing. They like the thing. They're going to be excited to work on it and talk about it with you. And that's, it's really joyous in your mid twenties, you know, to be um, in a community of people who are there for academically like one thing and are fucking stoked about it. Yeah. Did you ever go back to like, uh, studying art history after that horrible experience or was that the last <laughs> bit of it? That was like maybe a semester or two before I, cause before I officially dropped out, I did like a skipping a semester because that was the crunch period for dream daddy. And then after dream daddy came out, I just fully dropped out hey, and fair enough. moved to LA. Yeah. But Oh my God. I, 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 <laughs> it was horrible to this. There are so many things that I want to say about this person in that class that I just don't want to do because I won't put it on blast in public. But after the show, I'll tell Go you ahead. about <laughs> this person because truly legendary in terms of being cartoonishly horrible. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I definitely like, I haven't done many deep dives into art history since then, but I miss my like, the art history teacher that I had in high school when I was taking courses at like local college was just so passionate and excited about everything. And I feel like if you have a passionate professor, any subject is going to be interesting, Mm -hmm. but I Mm -hmm. love art history. And so just having a lady who is so stoked to be there was just perfect. I loved it so much. But art history is also great because museums are very good about this, right? You can walk through, go through an art museum, and mostly it's an art history class. And there are endless numbers of, of great books on it. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's actually something you can kind of teach yourself pretty effectively just by keeping your eyes open and going to the right places and paying attention. It's, yeah. yeah. This is this is when, I, when I'm on tour, I've talked about this on the show before, this is my number one priority is art museums in the different cities that, that we well, visit. Well, DIA, if you haven't been, highly yes. recommend. DIA, I love DIA. They're, I mean, they're just amazing art museums all over the world and the country. What's what are, what are the good ones by you in Austin? Austin really just kind of has one museum, and it's all right. Like it, again, I got spoiled off of like being in Michigan because if I wasn't going to DIA, I'd go over to Chicago. Yeah, and like so, like I got kind of got spoiled on art museums. So the one here is it's nice, but it's not the DIA. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I haven't been to an art museum since like pre-COVID at this point, which was a real mm-hmm. bummer because, you know, frequently talk on this show about how I chemically cannot cry. But when I go to an art museum, I will cry in front of paintings just because mm-hmm. that is what makes that, it happen. That's a good lyric for, for a song, by the way. I chemically cannot cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks. It, thanks of, f- f- enough to tranquilize a horse level of antidepressants. <laughs> really love it. <laughs> I wanted to talk before before we get too much further into this. I did want to talk a bit about Masters of the Universe because mm. it is your latest project to come out. So for context, 
my age is 48, which means that I was He-Man age in the mid-80s. Oh, yes. And He-Man was a very big part of my childhood. The cartoon, watched it every day after school. I had the figures. I had Castle Grayskull. I had, I had it all. I had Moss Man, not one of the more popular ones, but... <laughs> Who doesn't love Moss Man? He smells like pine. Thank you. <laughs> Fucking thank you, Patrick. Yes. <laughs> on, on the package, it said, smells like real moss. And I was like, fuck. And in the show, so he's cool. voiced by Alan Oppenheimer. I yes, I know <sighs> the the voice cast of the show is fucking awesome. It's by amazing. The way. <laughs> and like Shatner, oh my god! Oh that, yeah, uh, and he sounds great. He sounds so great. He's like in his nineties. The dude's got like more energy than like I do at like a third <laughs> of his age. <laughs> it's amazing, and and he's he sounds unmistakable. The first two words out of Keldor's mouth, you're like, oh shit, there he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, you know, I grew up as a big, uh, He-Man fan, uh, master of the universe, He-Man, She-Ra, all, all of it. Uh, I had all the stuff. Then my parents gave it away to my fucking cousins, which is unforgivable. Uh, (laughs) and I was so excited when revelation came out because it was, I was like, it's, it's good. They they took a shitty cartoon and they made it awesome, <laughs> and I I, I love that first uh, I don't know if you call it first series whatever uh, the revelation and then revolutions even better so I just I'm such a fan of what you guys accomplished with it and uh, I just want to talk about it treat it like Shakespeare that was the the mode operandi that we were given <laughs> that's awesome I'm sure people have talked length about this but. You know, I was like, I was watching it and I was like, okay, I think I really like this. And then you guys made Orko like actually (laughs) a sympathetic character and gave him a, an emotional depth. Well, I mean like so much of that is uh, also like the amazing writing by Tim Sheridan, like Kevin Smith and like, you know, again, like the, the executive producers, like the Ted Biaselli, like Rob David, like they have such a love and knowledge of the universe. And like, so you mix those things here. And then you had like the amazing performance by Griffin Newman, who, by the way, he's yes. not up pitched. That's like, that's his actual really? voice that he's not up pitched. I love Griffin Newman. Griffin Newman, fucking awesome. Also was, uh, Arthur on the, the new live action tick. Yes. Right? Uh, yeah. uh the, the tick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember when he got in the booth and he just like nailed it. There's a yeah. couple people that like nailed it right out of the gate. The entire voice cast is amazing. Fantastic. But, like, yeah. I remember like him and Steven Root as Cringer, mm-hmm. like stick Love out Steven to me Root. personally is just like, oh Steven my God, Root's like that's Cringer. That's like when he has like that heartfelt speech with Tila. Yes. You know, it's, no notes. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are so many legendary people. Fucking Keith David. Oh my God. Oh, I, Keith David. He's, I can't believe we got him for, cause I grew up on like Gargoyles. Oh yeah. Like, so being able to work with Keith David, I've gotten to work with so many of like, my my childhood dream like voice actors yeah on the show keith david is a fucking legend he's you know obviously an incredible voice actor a very underrated part of community season six also like a very (laughs) funny character on community season six i love keith david and i was so excited to see him in this too i'm trying to remember who else is in the cast Oh, there's so many people. I mean, like we had Diedrich Bader, right? Of course. So yep. He's he's King Randor. Method Man is in Revelation. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He plays Clamp Champ. <laughs> oh, uh, Rollins is in it, isn't he? Isn't in re- yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he is. He plays yes. uh, uh, Triclops. Yes. That's a get. That's cool. Oh yeah, like him doing his like big like speech to everybody. Yeah. And 
I don't want to say like specifically who pulled the strings on those. Like I have some ideas, but like getting that cast was huge and it, it worked with a show like, like Motu because it is so like larger than life. Like you need all these like big personalities for all these different characters. Yeah, totally. What was it like working with Kevin Smith? Uh, fucking amazing. I grew up with Kevin Smith's stuff. I'm a Jersey guy, you know, oh, like yeah. I saw clerks <laughs> in high school. Like I, I, I've been there from the beginning with, uh, with his stuff. So I'm very curious what that. I mean, like, all, like. all the creative heads have been fantastic to work with. Like when it comes to like, uh, not just casting, but crew and like, I'm not like a religious guy, but like, like blessed would be a good word to say it. Secularly mm-hmm. blessed. Secularly blessed. Um, you know, my co-director Akon, like we are so each half of a single brain at this point. Like I can't imagine working on the show with like anybody else, but also like like Ted Biaselli, you're not gonna find a bigger fan of Masters of the Universe than Ted Biaselli. I've read all the books, I watched the show, like we I have a library of stuff that I'm going through, and he still surprises me with the knowledge that he has. Rob David like his knowledge of like characters and being able to write these characters and also his knowledge of the history of Motu because he's kind of developed a lot of it is unparalleled. And then, yeah, like Kevin Smith, he just had the right vibe for it. But like as someone who to work with, not only did he know what he was writing, like, like it wasn't amorphous for him. He knew what the goal was, but he's also willing to work with me and Akon on like ideas. If we had to like try to solve, different problems and things like that. Cause it is, it's a very dense property. There's oh, a lot dude. of characters and a lot of stuff happens. I would call it now. I'm not saying you're saying this. When I try to read about masters of the universe, incoherent is the phrase <laughs> I would use. There's like so much fucking stuff going on and there's different versions. You know, it's like, like any longstanding property. There's a lot of shit to sort through and it does not all come together naturally. And yet our show, I think, feels very cohesive. I couldn't agree more. And this is one of the things that to me is most impressive about it is that you took a vast mythos, which doesn't really make sense, you know, on its own. And I thought we're very successful at establishing what was happening, kind of what the rules are. Here are the, here are the different characters. I think you guys absolutely crushed it in terms of making it, you know, just in general, but also in terms of taking something where... I'll be honest, I only had vague memories of a lot of the mythology, but mm-hmm. really took it and made it understandable and coherent in a way that it, I don't think it was before. <laughs> well, it's like Motu is also, yeah, it's a property where a lot of people have had their hands in it and making right. the, the mythos, the lore of it. You know, it's no uh, secret that like, you know, Filmation owns certain rights to characters uh, of Master of the Universe, and then Mattel owns rights to characters and stuff in the universe. And, like, mm-hmm. those two don't always overlap. Right. Uh, and so, like, yeah, like, there's a lot of navigating that that's part of making a show like Motu. The, the idea is that, like, this is the, supposed to be, like, the story that you thought you were watching when you were yeah. watching, like, the old show, or when you were playing with your right, action right. figures. Like, it has to be, like, that's why they went for, like, a company like Powerhouse, because, like, off of Castlevania and like Seis Manos and like Blood of Zeus, like we were kind of already doing these big bombastic like action shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With like a lot of like like nice character elements in it. And so like, yeah, but being able to deliver that while also like navigating the the copyright <laughs> rapids yeah. as it were and give fans like all like the little Easter eggs and things like that, like they really want. Like any, any that's the nice thing about Motu though, is like it's so much 
that at any moment you can be like, oh, well, why just make a random sword when it could be a callback to this? Or yeah, you yeah, know. yeah. And some of those, dude, some of those battle scenes, and there are a lot of them. Yes. I I can't even imagine what it took to make those. Like it, there is so much going on on screen oh, yes. that <laughs> and. and just all the time, you know, your style for this is so detail oriented that especially for these battles with, you know, sometimes 30, 40 more people on screen at any given time. Mm-hmm. I can't even comprehend what it took to make that. It'll be, yeah, so it's, like, it's like like a dozen named characters, like champions. And then you'll have like, then you've got like the minions, for, or like, like the, the, the shadow creatures, and those will have trolls, and there's gargoyles, and there's like little goblin ones, and there's a dragon flying through. Yeah. Or it's like, you have these giant mechanoids coming out of the ground, and there's a dragon fighting another mechanoid while someone's restoring <laughs> heaven. And you're just like, you know, it's like, there's a lot going on. And so... And it's interesting, too, because part of the whole thing, right, a central part of the story is this magic versus technology kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting to me is is kind of the lack of limitations where, in a sense, like anything you want to happen, you can probably find a way to make it happen, you know, through either <laughs> magic or technology. And having that much free reign, in a sense, is mm-hmm. that's a hard fucking thing to navigate. There are rules, but there's also kind of like a you can do anything you want. There's probably a way to fit it into that world. Because you can kind of do anything like maintaining focus. Right. Is a big part of the story is like, is, is this moment servicing the greater plot, the greater story, a character? Like there's a lot of moments that me and Akon worked out that were, that was serving multiple purposes. A really good example is in revelation. Evelyn does this kind of magic thing, right? right. Uh, she makes this bird. Uh, and she says to most everyone else, this is sorcery, but to me it's magic. And this is a really wonderful character moment for Lynn and Orko to kind of like bond a little bit. You know, they have that yeah, laugh. That's a nice relationship. I like that. It's relationship so good. Again, like written by uh, Tim Sheridan. So like fantastic moment. I love how he writes uh, evil Lynn. And then, but like visually like bringing that call back to the end of the episode when Tila is giving her speech to evil Lynn and Lynn finishes her line saying it's magic. It's like, so like that moment now is servicing like not just Orko and Lynn, but also setting up Lynn's arc for later. Yeah. And this is a lot of things like that that are doing three or four things all at the same time. And yeah, I mean like, you know, me and Akon are communicating this to like six to eight board artists. We've got like three animators on staff. We've got like all these visual development people and like we're having to manage, you know, a team of about 20 to 40 people to make sure they all stay focused and they all have so many things to play with and they're all going in different directions. And it is kind of like keeping focus on the story and the plot was a, a huge element to make a property like Motu work. Yeah, I bet. Another thing you guys did successfully, I could just rave about this all day is, uh, <laughs> you know, take like famously, and I'm not saying anything people haven't said a million times before that original He-Man cartoon, very one dimensional designed to sell toys Right. It's not, you know, intellectually did a good job at it, too. (laughs) Hey, look, you're talking to, you know, one of their main consumers like it certainly worked on me. And the way you guys took that and made, you know, gave it some emotional depth and three dimensional characters, I thought was just so successful and did not feel forced. Like there's a way of doing that where you'd be like, are you fucking kidding me? Mm -hmm. You know, like you have to be sincere about it. Like that's right. 
that was like another thing is like we didn't want to be like oh just throw this in there because the fans will like it it's like no like me and akon really did pour into like the literature of of motu all these books about all the concepts that they had the ones that they didn't use once they did use like the old comics like all this stuff to make sure that like if we're doing a callback is this justified in the universe is it justified with the characters to do this because yeah. yeah we didn't want to be flippant or shallow with any right. of it and i think that's why like a lot of it does land a hundred percent so you have the writing you have the visuals you have the voice acting we didn't mention mark hamill who of course is oh yeah you know, beyond a legend he's so good to work with too like I've, is he really for someone of like his tell me notoriety everything. and like yeah. fame like you you would think he would be less down to earth but you can tell that like voice acting is a passion for him and he mm-hmm. treats it like a craftsman and like that's so wonderful to work with again like I, everyone who we've who's done a voice on the show has been fantastic to work with yeah i, I remember when you know when he first started doing joker which was quite a beat after star wars I was just like, holy shit, like, you know, he's not just Luke, like, he's really got the goods. He's such a great Joker, To I mean, famously, of course. That's awesome. I, I'm so jealous of the fact that you guys <laughs> got to work with all these uh, <laughs> incredible folks, and that, you know, it all came together so, so well. While, while we were up in Toronto uh, recording the NSP album a couple of weeks ago, the new Under the Covers album. Mm-hmm. Uh, I spent a good portion of that rewatching Revelation and then watching Revolution, which is when, we, when I reached out. You can almost feel like the pacing ramping up throughout mm-hmm. all three. Like, like I think part one is like probably the most sedate, which is funny to say. Yes. Because it's not sedate. No, but definitely by not. the standards <laughs> of like part two, when you've got like the savage moments and, you know, you've got like like everything like coming to a head at the battle, then you've got like uh, a revolution. The, the pace is so much faster in those that like when you go back to watch the first one's like, oh, well, we're just kind of walking through the woods for like a little bit. That's nice. <laughs> Re- Revolution Revolution is what? Is it five episodes? It's five, right? yeah. Five. I can't believe you packed that much into five, like 30 minute, is that right? Episodes? No, they're about 22, 24 minutes. 20, oh my God, dude, yeah. that's insane. Like <laughs> there's so much that happens too. Kudos to our, like our story crew and also like, like shout out to our episode director, Abby, because we were actually able to get shot count down and shot count matters a lot when you're doing shows like this, we were able to get shot count down, but the pacing still felt much faster. And that's a a not easy thing to do. A lot of times Mm -hmm. like more shots equals faster pacing. So be able Mm -hmm. to reduce the shot count, but still make it feel like energetic and like conversational was no easy task. And it's one that like, I don't think a lot of people will like immediately notice, but that's why it feels fast, but not too fast. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'm just such a huge fan, obviously. Well, very happy to see Mantena. Love Mantena. Yes, Mantena. Uh, one of my favorites. Got his eyeballs to, to, to pop out too. I noticed that. Of course, I noticed that. So Mantena, Layton, in case you don't know, had a little thing on his back where you could go up there and his eyes would pop out of his uh, eye holes. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> really. The, the evil horde had some of the best How good uh, does Leech look? Characters. Leech looks incredible. I love Leech, how, yeah. how how our Leech looks. <laughs> yes, everyone looks awesome. I just I have a personal joy in Mantena's whole existence. What is your opinion on the? Uh, would this be spoiler alert? Like the final outfits? Oh, I don't remember offhand, but I remember really <laughs> enjoying it. Yeah, uh, I'd have to look at them again to see specifically what you're 
when you're talking that, about. that sequence by the way that transformation sequence is called henshin um and something that oh. happens in a lot of anime and we, we did it in revelation and like uh in revolution that was like the me and a kind of were pushing for like we really wanted it to happen and um i got to work with maddie who is one of our, our storyboard artists and then uh Dominic, uh, who is our was our lead animator, and to really make that idea come to fruition, but the, the whole concept was like almost like a ballroom dance. So if yeah, you want yeah, to, yeah. like a little callback to like Heart Boner a little uh-huh. bit, it's like like <laughs> we wanted this kind of like ballroom dance between these two, where they yeah, kind of yeah. leave each other, have their own one, and then kind of like come back, like especially with the, the hand moment. Right, right. So happy with how that turned out. Speaking about specific designs, there are some character designs that really stuck out to me. I forget the exact name. Skelgod. Is that the name of that? Skelgod. I had a big hand in that one on season one. Dude. Yeah. That first came out season one. We're going to brief spoilers here for anyone who hasn't (laughs) seen it. Basically, Skeletor gets the power of Grayskull and transforms into his version of He-Man or whatever. Would you call that accurate? What I just said? It's Skeletor with the power. Skeletor with the power. And he looks fucking rad with the power. (laughs) Yeah, that was a fun one. That was me and um, Eddie Nunez really tag teaming on that one. But yeah, you can see uh, in the art book, you can read up on it. And like there is definitely looking at toys like Terror Claws, Skeletor for that one. And like you'll notice that he's kind of like somewhat skull shapes all over his body, which is kind of like a gray skull thing. But Oh, I didn't notice that. Okay. Yeah, he's got like slight skull shapes kind of everywhere. And it's like they have kind of a long elongated fangs on them. So it's like. Mm-hmm. A lot of gray skull, but also kind of Skeletor vibe is like, I'm just gonna put my face on everything because it's all about yeah. me. I like also that you guys conclusively answered the question, do Skeletor and Evil Lynn fuck? The answer is yes. And <laughs> that was the writers. <laughs> it's integral to the story that they do. So it, it's nice to get some confirmation of that, uh, long suspected. That moment of uh, uh, Evil Lynn kissing Skeletor's teeth. <laughs> a lot of discussions in the office about like what sound is that is that gonna make i wonder <laughs> yeah it's uh smushy and clicky yeah <laughs> that's my favorite kind of keyboard experience right. smushy yeah. and clicky. layton do you have any experience with this stuff at all nope but i'm enjoying listening to you two really connect on it it's very sweet yeah it was such a big part of my childhood and you know it's got a famously bad live action movie with a famously great performance by Frank Langella as Skeletor. You know, sometimes people will talk about that as the best performance in the worst movie. I think Frank Langella said it's one of his favorite roles ever. There's a, there's a character from that 80s one in Revolution. Oh, I missed that. Who is it? Gwildor. Oh, of course. Yes. Yeah. Voiced right, by right, Tim right. Selly, our, our executive um, producer. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, is there anything else you feel like you'd like to talk about you know, or just some, a moment that people might not have noticed that you think is particularly cool. Oh, uh, a moment people might not have noticed. Um, I can talk about something that has no bearing to the show. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but while, while I was working on the show and I, I still do it, um, I wrote all my notes in Tanguar. <laughs> and I still do. <laughs> so these are my notes right now. Oh, my God. Patrick, and, you're and the anyone who's who can read Tanguar can try to make sense of that. Wait, are you are you fluent in Tanguar? So Tanguar is the script. Sindarin and Quenyan is the language. So oh, yes, of course. I'm, I'm so I, I look, I'm, I'm sorry, writing. everybody. I should have known that. I forgot, <laughs> like definitely people were screaming at me, but yes, I appreciate the correction. So can you write fluently in Tanguar script? Absolutely. I could like you could give me a word right now and I'll write it. 
Okay, Layden. All right. You want to no. do phonetically or orthographically? <laughs> oh, I, uh, let's say phonetically. All right. Uh, how about uh, squelching? Squelching. Oh, that's a hard one. All right. So that would be S, Q, and then W, and then L, and then CH, <laughs> and then you probably want to do a G with a nasal. So that'd be squel. This is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. There you go. Yeah, this is amazing. There it is. Oh my god, <laughs> that's beautiful! Wow, that's a Tolkien hidden man. talent. That's amazing. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I was going to say a, a little tidbit about uh, Revelation um, that I just thought about is Fisto. So oh. Fisto says words like "I'd like to fist him," and everyone's yes, like, "What I the hell that. is he saying that for?" Yeah, that is a callback to like an old comic because he wouldn't say punch; he'd say fist. So there's this, you can find it online. There's like a meme and it's like He-Man's like holding Fisto and he's like, he's like in his arms. He's like, I fisted them hard, He-Man, but I couldn't fist them all. Like, Rest now, uh-huh. you know, brave warrior. But like, that's, that's where that comes from. That is interesting. Cause it does, if you don't know that, and I didn't know that it does stand out as like a kind of an odd moment in the show is like, yeah. To- tonally, it feels like what is going on with this one? It just feels like a one-off joke. I mean, if anyone's going to fist Skelligod, it would probably be someone with a giant metal fist. I agree with you. I strongly agree with that assessment. If someone's going to get fisted, likely the fister would be the guy with the fist. Yeah. <laughs> totally true. Wise words. Wise words from, <laughs> exactly. from a wise man. <laughs> All right. So we're moving on now to uh, our segments. Our show has two segments. Our first segment is our pop culture recommendation segment. This is where you get to talk about something you've been enjoying recently, a book, a movie, a video game, whatever it is. The name of the segment is What's Poppin'? And unfortunately, I don't have the ability to play the theme or any theme uh, on my on my computer here through, uh, through Zencaster. So we insert the theme in post and the theme okay. song goes here. What's Poppin'? What's poppin'? Now, Patrick, I will ask you my favorite question to ask people. So you, you didn't hear the theme just then. But if you were to have heard it, what mm-hmm. would you have thought of it? Now, bearing in mind, I'll give you some information, which is possibly relevant. Okay. Uh, I wrote it by all right. myself. That's all you need to know. Oh. Uh, well, I, I, I sure did think that it was um, indicative of your talents uh, as an artist uh, and I thought brutal. that it a was, brutal uh, takedown. Scathing <laughs> <laughs> indictment. Well, well, why would it be? I mean, like, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it was very uh, thematic and on brand. And uh, great. When I hear it, I think, boy, Brian Wecht. That's right. I have a voice. I love it. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you, slash, I'm angry. I decided to lean to the most political, like, politician answer I could give. I think that's great. Moment. There are no right answers, only answers that make me upset. So, <laughs> Layden, what's popping? What's popping for me is I'm, I'm going to do an anti-pop Ooh. because... I don't actually have anything new to pop because as stated many times on this show, I am incredibly boring and I will fall into a rut of just consuming the same content over and over just because that's how my brain needs to be sometimes. So what's popping for me is you don't need to have content running every second of the day. You can sit and stare at a wall or stare out a window Mm -hmm. and think thoughts. This is like not even me 
doing this from a high horse perspective. This is basically me telling myself that I need to do that. So I don't know, folks at home, if you haven't today, just like sat with no stimulus whatsoever, maybe do that for a little bit. I think it's good for you. Those thoughts are coming in. Explore them. Don't ignore them. I like that. That's right. I like that a lot, too. So, yeah, Patrick, what's popping? A couple things. Uh, We've talked a lot about my show, but a show that I would like to plug that I've really enjoyed. It's called Scavenger's Reign. Oh, dude, it's so good. Oh, yeah. It's so good. I finished watching that. I've started watching uh, Delicious in Dungeon. I've been having a good time with that. That's a really fun. I've been curious about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really fun anime. And then speaking of language stuff, um, I've been reading uh, Tolkien's The Secret Vice. which is all about uh, language uh, creation and his, um, he did kind of like a speech, I believe at Oxford, um, all about like what he called the secret vice, which was constructing languages. Um, Oh, that's awesome. It's a fascinating read uh, because he grew up in the time when that was actually really popular. Esperanto was becoming really popular. You had a lot of other ones that aren't as remembered as Esperanto. You also had people like Gertrude Stein who were kind of deconstructing language. What's the logic? It's like log lang. What 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 is that one? It's like the logical conlang. Oh yes, yeah. So like that would be that's like Esperanto, right? Where it's like purely utilitarian. Yeah, I think I think you're correct. And it's interesting because Tolkien, growing up in that time, he kind of didn't agree with either side. Like he mm-hmm. did pay some respect to Esperanto, but uh, a lot of the other ones, he felt that like because his whole thing was was like if you're going to study literature and linguistics, you should also study like philology, which is like the history and like the context historical context of these languages and this literature. And his thing was like not to deconstruct it abstractly and not to necessarily just do it purely utilitarian, but to use it as an art form. Mm -hmm. And so for instance, like writing in Tanguar, Tanguar as a script is gorgeous and efficient. You can write it phonetically, orthographically. And if you do it phonetically, there's certain things that that you can parse out just by looking at at, at the, the script without actually knowing what the character is because mm-hmm. it follows certain rules and he does it all with just stems and bows It's and it looks beautiful so it's a, a fascinating read all about like sound symbolism and like personal languages like noises we just make as we're as we're kind of like growing as people and when we stop because like language becomes this kind of communal thing because mm-hmm. uh, you know communication that's its primary uh, source and he has a whole thing about like why are why do people more people know ancient Greek than they do Esperanto and it's like and it was whole thing was because they want to know the classics they want to know the the epics that they're reading and so yeah fascinating stuff I, re- I highly recommend the Secret Vice if you get a chance it is a bit dry the first like two thirds of the book what a is, shock <laughs> well it's like I mean it's also it's Tolkien talking like about his studies basically yeah but the first like two thirds of the book is just giving context to his then speech that he gives which is recorded in the the last third Mm. that's awesome uh do you know the connection between speaking of shatner shatner and esperanto i don't there's a connection there shatner was in an esperanto language film oh i believe it's called incubus and i think it's from the 60s i should fact check myself on this but uh yeah you know there was kind of a revival of interest in esperanto in the 60s and Shatner was was in a, an Esperanto. It is film. Incubus, nineteen sixty six. Yep, filmed entirely in the constructed <laughs> language of Esperanto. All right, maybe I'll give that a, a, a watch. Yeah, <laughs> uh, there's an amazing book 
which I really loved. I, I can't remember the title exactly, but I think it's something like In the Land of Invented Languages by Erica Ockrent. Oh, I think I know that one. Where she goes through many, many, many conlangs from, you know, like the last millennium, basically. So yeah, it was huge. Of People, years everyone was doing it. Yes. Yeah. And they, you know, everyone has their basically thing where like, this is the right way to do it. I'm going to do it logically. And of course, there's no such thing. Uh, but it is very interesting. Yeah. Or they would be more like codes than languages. Yes. Like that's a thing whenever you get into like, like if you're just replacing words, but you're not playing with syntax or like where determiners right. go or any of that kind of stuff, then like it's not. Yeah. yeah. Or it's not, it's not just cryptography. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Well, Brian, what's popping? Uh-huh. What's popping for me is a, uh, a movie I watched on the plane back from Toronto. It's a current Netflix film called The Greatest Night in Pop, which is, I believe, co-produced by Lionel Richie, all about the making of We Are the World, (laughs) a mega superstar collaboration from the mid-80s, which had basically everybody in it. And I am of an age where We Are the World was a big fucking deal about the same time I was into He-Man. Who's in this? Everybody. Cindy Lauper, Bruce Springsteen, fucking Bob Dylan, James Ingram, Lionel Michael Richie, Jackson, right? Michael Jackson. Yeah. Stevie Wonder is in it. Um, was David Bowie in it? David Bowie was not in it. Okay. Uh, Ray Charles was in it. Oh, Paul wow. Simon. If you watch the video, Dan Aykroyd's in the video. Why? <laughs> Who the fuck knows? Why the hell um, was Dan Aykroyd in there? Yeah. All of these 80s luminaries come and it was written by uh, Lionel Richie and Michael Jackson, I believe. And maybe Steve Wonder had a little bit to do with it as well. But it's like, it's just such a fun period piece about the, the making of this thing. Quincy Jones is like producing it. And it's all these like pop stars at the height of their popularity and productivity. You know, it, it's just a cool documentary about some of the the people I grew up with, it's a fast watch. There's a lot of like current interviews with people who were there at the time, including like a guy who was a cameraman in the room, at, you know, <laughs> recording it. Like, and it, it's a crazy story because everyone's there for some awards show in LA and they have to keep the location of this thing secret. So the press doesn't show up because everybody famous is there. And, you know, <laughs> it's like this whole thing. And, like Lionel Richie is simultaneously hosting the awards show. I think it's the American music awards, but I could be wrong. Hosting the awards show also won basically every award at the show and trying to organize this recording session for everybody to show up. So he has the story about it. Like he's, he's on stage hosting. Okay. He wins an award. He runs backstage during a commercial gets on the phone. All right, we got to do this, this, and this back on stage, (laughs) host the next pick, win the next award. It's fucking cool. And uh, yeah, I just really like this movie and it's, it's a fun watch and it's very much a piece of eighties pop history. Well, hell yeah. Amazing. Yes. Also we are. Well, look at all those. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. ahead. No, please. Layton. I value your voice. No, <laughs> I refuse. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll just share one story too, which I really like from it. Everyone, not everybody, but most people in the room get a solo for a particular line they get to sing. So it's Cindy Lauper has an amazing line in it where she really comes in hot, and so she's recording her solo, and they're like, "Okay, hold, oh, everybody, stop, everybody, stop. Uh, we're getting some noise 
in the in the channel. We got to figure this out. Can't figure it out. Start singing again. Okay, everyone, stop, stop, stop. We're getting noise in the channel. It's total mystery. Eventually, they realize she's wearing so much jewelry that <laughs> her like earrings, and she's wearing like you know ten necklaces and all these crazy bracelets that she's coming clanky. in like this, and it's all clanking in the channel. So she has to like take off her. She's these crazy giant earrings that she has to take off and stuff. It's immediately made me think of the Metalocalypse episode where Nathan tries to wear a full suit of armor in the recording booth. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Watch it, by the way, that no one in the history of anything has ever looked less comfortable than Bob Dylan at the, we are the world recording. (laughs) Look at any picture of him. Why is he there? No one knows. It's oh, Here's another good story too, because this is not his like style of music. The way he learned to sing his line is because Stevie Wonder did a Bob Dylan impression to Bob Dylan. And it was like, here's how I would sing it if I were you. And then Dylan got it and sang it like that. Wow. Pretty crazy. Amazing. Yep. Well, that's what was popping. And now it's time for our final segment, which is three parts gratitude exercise, one part petty grousing. The name of the segment is Peaches and Lemons. And the theme song goes right here. Peaches and Lemons. Incredible. A theme song. Oh, I love it. We will now each start. Thank you. Thank you. I I don't know why I said thank you, but thank you. <laughs> well, um, you wrote that one, right? I could tell. <laughs> yes. Single-handedly. That's a, that's a, that's a Leighton Gray original. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll each start with a lemon, which is a minor, bummer, grievance, annoyance, what have you. I will go first. My lemon is getting angry at yourself like days or weeks ago because there's a thing that you need and you know you have it. (laughs) Where did you put it? Why did you not put it in the place that you would anticipate that you put it and now you can't find it? What was was going (laughs) on in my mind when I put this particular thing? I don't know where it is. I need it. Where the fuck is it? (laughs) And I know I'm going to find it and be like, why did I think this was a good spot? Anyway, that's... (laughs) That's that's my lemon because that just happens to me all the time. I know how that goes. I need a thing. Where is it? The hard thing is for me with glasses because like when I place glasses down, I can't see because I'm nearsighted. Mm. So I can yeah. see you guys fine, but like, yeah, if I misplace them, and I always misplace them. Yeah, yeah, same. Yeah, very, right, what about very it? relatable. Yeah, <laughs> if I had to choose a lemon, and I think anybody living in Austin would agree with me, the allergies here are the worst. Oh. It's <sighs> allergy capital of the United States. Um, and it's is it been, really Texas yeah, or Austin is, specifically? It's because the Gulf, like a lot of stuff comes over from across oh. the ocean and wafts in here. And then, yeah. And like cedar elm and mold have been really high. And so I've just been medicated 24 seven. Oh, <laughs> God, allergies are the worst. They really are. It makes it hard to work. Like when you're trying to look at screens and you just have that pang in the back of your eyes that won't leave. Yeah. No. The best eyes burning must stare at stimulus that makes eyes yeah. burn harder. <laughs> Brian, lemon? Yes, my lemon is I was on this recording trip. So fucking productive. Oh my God. Got my inbox down to three emails. Count them. Three emails. That's because I file them. I had some. A couple emails that were sitting there for the better part of a year, which I hadn't responded to. <laughs> not not pressing things, just like friends I wanted to respond to. And then there you do that thing where you're like, 
I want to sit down and think about it, but you're never in the right headspace to do it. Finally, I was like, I cannot keep this person hanging on for much longer. By the way, I invented a strategy. Hey, it's it's January. I was cleaning out my inbox. Uh, I you know realized I you know hadn't responded to this, <laughs> pretending that it hadn't hung over my head every single day for the last twelve <laughs> months. Because there's a point like, okay, you get an email, you can respond right away. You wait a little bit, it's like okay, it's maybe a week. When you get to that like two month mark and you haven't responded, if you then respond to it, it feels like kind of a fuck you. And then you really got to game it out. Because even though, by the way, just being completely honest and being like, hey, so sorry, I've been meaning to respond to this would be totally fine. And in fact, is what a normal human That's the question should I think, and would is do. like, is it better that you you say, oh, I, I forgot about it or it's, I, I missed it somehow? Or what if you're super honest and you're like, no, actually, this is hung over my head every single day and it is oh, the right headspace because it cared so much. That's right. I've ob- obsessed myself into paralysis. I think there's costs and benefits 100%. to both of those. <laughs> yeah, there, there really are. Uh, and by the way, like, I didn't forget. I don't forget to respond to emails. I just don't do it sometimes. And then they just sit there. There's a lovely feeling of, of, of sweet oblivion. But an email has been in your box, your inbox for so long that you're like, you know what? I'm filing this now because I can no longer respond to it and keep up the illusion that I'm a decent person. So <laughs> sometimes... And it's never like important stuff. It's always just like, and by the way, most of the time these hang over your head. They get bigger and bigger and bigger. They turn into this giant snowball fucking thing. And you're like, oh my God, they were expecting me to reply. And then you look at the email and there was never any expectation that you were going to reply to it. It was just a thing that you put on yourself because you're like, oh, I better write this person back. So many times I let it molder in the inbox for six months. I look at it and I'm like beating myself up that I haven't replied to it. And it was just like a, thing I didn't even need to reply to. That shit's getting filed. How many emails do you have open um, at any given time? Oh, what do you mean open? Like I have, mul- I have like three or four different email addresses that people email me at. Oh, Patrick, that's adorable. I have like 20. <laughs> uh, and I'm not kidding. I have about 20 different emails. Oh my uh, God, no. No, I wouldn't do that. What's wrong with you? <laughs> well, I have a lot of different projects and <laughs> some some of them are for joke purposes. Uh, so I can harass very specific friends from a very specific like subsidiary email emails. account. Yeah, keep it. This is why I have a a, a password manager, so I can, uh, you know, keep all those passwords straight. Uh, my password manager is a very nice guy. He does it all for a really reasonable <laughs> price. But you know, I just text him every time I need a, a password. Um, <laughs> it's no, I, I have so many fucking emails, and they all are back. Like the recovery accounts is this unholy web of which are recovery accounts for what it it's terrible three or four emails i fucking wish i had three or four email addresses uh my life would be a lot better uh i agree so my my lemon is that's not even my lemon my lemon (laughs) is i was so productive on this trip cleaning out the inbox and then I get back home and now they're fucking stacking up again. <laughs> I'm not. Why? I don't know why. Well, how am I less productive here than I was on this recording trip? It is a psychological mystery that I will crack hopefully before I die. But <laughs> I sorry, know. I couldn't reply to your email. I'm dead. Yeah. <laughs> Proud of you for trying. Thank you. Um, now we will each do three peaches, which are cool, good, fun things. 
and I will go first because I'm always brief. My first one, I have a new gig. Yay. Can't say anything about it and probably can never say anything about it, which is just how I like a gig to be, but very, very excited about it. Give us a scoop. Just a little hint. No. vague. What's what's the vaguest thing you can say about it? I'm contractually obligated to not say anything about it. Say, how about this? Say one word in the English language that's unrelated to your gig, and then we can try to figure it out, the rest of us. I'm going to go on to my next speech. <laughs> I thought that was a reasonable request. To you. There's, there's no, history behind that so. statement. <laughs> 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 the knowing look of like, if I give him a drop. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Don't give him any form of liquid ever. Um, no. It's going to come out second, everywhere. <laughs> sorry. Uh, my second were, peach. Yeah, sorry, Lynn, you were talking. My second peach is blush. You know, makeup blush. It's cool and good. I like using it. I used to never use it. I guess it's kind of hot right now. It's coming back around as a trend. Was it out for a while? People weren't using blush for? Definitely not as like heavily. I think now it's kind of coming back around to like a very, uh, you know, you look like a drawing of a person who is cold <laughs> with a little pink nose and everything. Uh, the old hypothermia look. Yeah. Yeah. And then my third peach is just, it's nice when you eat fruits or vegetables. I had like some celery the other day. I hadn't had celery in a really long time. Mm-hmm. Celery is fun because, you know, you burn more calories eating it than it gives you, but God, it's so refreshing. It's just so crunchy and There's nice. There's a workaround for that, which is if you let the celery just sit in your mouth and dissolve <laughs> over a long period of time, oh, you no. can actually get enough calories from it. It's 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 unpleasant, but it does work. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great. Well, those are my three peaches. Cool. Either uh, of you. Patrick, do you want to sure. share three peaches? I'm very happy that like the craft of art, um, the craft of cooking, uh, I have easy access to food preparation tools and knowledge on how to do things. I quite enjoy cooking and I'm so happy that there's like so many YouTube channels and personalities and people that I can get ideas from and get different crafting knowledge from. Number two, I suppose, would be uh, very thankful for everybody that I've had the privilege of working with. You know, we kind of started this segment talking about nights and we moved on to Motu and like uh I really am so lucky that I don't have so many people have stories about office drama and horrendous people that they've worked with and like giant egos and like I just don't have that. Like I'm very lucky uh for Acon. I'm lucky for everybody at Powerhouse. I'm lucky for the people that we bring on to nights. And so you know knock on wood uh that continues. Uh but so far uh it seems like that's the case. I really haven't had any major issues with anybody I've worked with. I love that. Incredible. Hell yes. Uh, three. Uh, I would say the rig that I'm on. I like this thing quite a bit. Put this giant NASA computer together. And uh, with all the stuff that I do, this is recent. It allows me to work without lag. Like I can have Photoshop after effects. I can run 20 to, you know, bunch of tabs on Chrome, I can be, I can be streaming, I can do all this stuff, and I don't, not a hint of lag. Everything just works. That's like amazing. That. It's really nice. It makes it. such a nice difference 
when you finally upgrade from like a kind of shitty thing and you oh. realize just how terrible your yes. last one was yeah. where like you've been limiting yourself by not like even creatively of like I can't have these two things going at the same time or I can't have like this many <laughs> layers without this thing shitting its pants. It's very freeing. So I'm happy you have that. I do wish I had a third monitor though. I only have two, and I'm, an Acon's got three, and I've seen what three can do, and I'm like, oh my god, I could just have all my chats in one monitor. So tempted by like vertical monitor That's setups. What he has. Like, oh those are yeah. Cool to me. <laughs> all right, Brian. Mm-hmm. Peach number one. We have finished the next Go Banana Go album. This is my kid band with a uh, producer, and in this case, uh, partner Jim Roach. And it is a, I love this album. It's our weirdest album yet. And, you know, you got to be weird. It's just the, what came out. And we realized after our first album, we're a kid comedy band and (laughs) I love this album so much. Uh, So that'll come out in a few months, but it's done. We did run a potential title by our publicist and she was like, no, don't do that. So <laughs> I think I can actually tell you what the rejected title is, which I thought was great. Diaper Rush. Was well, that's that's very good. Actually, and my favorite game. Um uh, rejected title was Hut Dug, H-U-T-D-U-G, which uh, I thought was funny. That's just fun to funny. say though. It's, Kids are gonna uh, love saying yeah, that. That's Hut Dug. So that is not the title. Okay. Of the upcoming Go Banana Go album. It's something else. Wow. That's like the Mike Mitchell special <laughs> from Doug Boys. He always says hot dog. Oh, does he? <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess it's sort of a regional thing oh. to a degree of how people say hot dog. I did not realize that. I just thought it was a fun collection yeah. of hot dog. Uh, vowels. Peach number two. I had dinner with uh, two wonderful people who are in town. Uh, last night, these are Danny's parents, Danny Avedan's parents, who are in Aww. L.A. and are surrogate parents to me and surrogate grandparents to Audrey. Aww. So me, Rachel, and Audrey had dinner with uh, Dan's parents, and I just love them so much. They are truly the sweetest, most wonderful people in the world. And I text Dan's mom, Audrey, photos regularly because she is <laughs> – the closest thing that Audrey has to a grandmother on my side of the family. Mm-hmm. Rachel's mom is is still with us, but my parents uh, died many years ago, which I've apologized for many times. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, having a basically a, a surrogate grandma in Danny's mom is is great. And she is such a I, I cannot overstate how wonderful these people are. So sweet and and so beautiful too. Like oh my god, da- Danny's mom is, is gorgeous, and yeah, she's just like I can't say enough good things about them. <laughs> uh, and they, you know, for you know, people have heard Danny talk about them on Grumps, uh, especially Avi. Everything you have heard is true. <laughs> <laughs> They're the best. And then my final peach is Audrey finished her soccer season, her inaugural soccer season. Her How team was undefeated. She's nine. Oh my God, she's almost double digits. She well, she'll be ten in May. When the hell did that happen? Insane. I know it's crazy, <laughs> but like, yeah, their team was undefeated in soccer this year, and Audrey did so great. It was really fun to watch her play. Went to to their last game yesterday, and this kid is fucking going for it. She's really working hard in that. She field. always kind of struck me like the brief moments that like she was in Game Grumps, or like like you would have her uh, while you were doing like a video conference or something. Yeah, that, like she had a lot of energy. 
So I assume like something like soccer, like a sport is probably helping with that. Hopefully a little bit. Yes. She has a, she has a lot of energy and, uh, most of that goes, uh, comes out verbally, shall we say, <laughs> uh, she is a talker. Oh, uh, and oh, she's got a good uh, teacher. You, you've got quite the vocabulary yourself. Well, thank you very much. We also, I guess this is a, just a, a little, I'm going to tack on the peach cause it's another Audrey thing. She's now old enough that we can show her our favorite movies. So we showed her this weekend. Hellboy. Oh my which, God. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And I'm, and she loved it. And I'm very excited to show her Hellboy too. This is of course. Oh yeah. The Golden first Army. Hellboy. Oh, I love Golden Army. I think. Yeah. I think she's Toro. Really enjoy it. Oh, it's the best. So we, we now can actually show her movies that, you know, are a little, little more adult. Uh, but yeah, she was That's great. Very excited about, uh, Hellboy and, you know, all the fun <laughs> stuff in that. Although we did have to have a little talk about Cthulhu. Uh, but that's fine. <laughs> but you know, at some point, you got to talk to your kids, parents, talk to your kids about Cthulhu before they find out about Cthulhu and <laughs> the old ones and the elder gods from from other kids at school. Like, it's, <laughs> it, it, have that conversation. I know it's not easy, but it's important that they hear it from you. A calamari conversation. You got to yeah, have that's it. That's right. That's right. Patrick, yes. thank you so much for being here. You know, obviously, I'm just a huge fan of you and what you do in general, but the oh, new show is so above and beyond. Uh, I was just completely blown away by it. There's a lot of NSP fans at Powerhouse, so I'm sure they're going to love love to hear that. Oh, that's awesome, dude. You have been such an important part of my artistic life, you know, that uh, I can't imagine we would be where we are without you and, and the people you work with. So thank you for being here today and just for being a part of uh, so many of the favorite things that that I've been able to do over the last, you know, however many years. Feelings mutual. Like the projects that we've worked on with NSP and TWRP have been some of the funnest, like most creatively fulfilling projects like, like I've had in oh, my career. Awesome. And that's saying something. It. Anytime we're thrilled to work with you guys. Absolutely same. Hopefully we'll do it again sooner rather than later. We didn't even talk about Mystic Crystal, which was another like crazy huge project that you guys totally, totally crushed. Oh yeah. That was the like Dragon's Lair mixed with like Road to El Dorado vibes. Mm-hmm. Got some really great talents. We did all we did like that the we didn't do a shadow pass. We did like a scratch up pass to add all these like cross hatching to characters. That yeah. was a really fun one. Michael did some beautiful backgrounds on that too. Oh my god. There's some incredible back everything about it is amazing. That that is but far and away the best like thing Ninja Sex Party has ever made. The song, the video, all of it. And you guys were so, so instrumental in in making that as cool as it was. But yeah, dude, thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it. Patrick, if, is there anywhere that you want to direct listeners to if they want to check out your stuff, socials, plug in anything, et cetera? Sure. Yeah. My company is called Knights of the Light Table. Knights like the ones that hold swords and shields. Uh, light Table, as in like those big light up discs that animators would use. Um, so nice light table. You can check us out through the Ninja Sex Party uh, YouTube channel. You can see Starbomb on the uh, Starbomb channel, or which I think is uh, Ego, on Raptors. Ego Raptor. It's on Ego Raptor's Ego channel. Raptor's channel. Um, you can check out our website, nightsofthelighttable.com. And once you're done with that, you can check out my powerhouse work on Netflix. I co-directed with my buddy Akon, Masters of the Universe, Revelation, and the latest Masters of the Universe, Revolution. Um, and I've also been an animator on projects such as Castlevania on Netflix, Seis Manos, amazing show. Highly recommend checking out Seis Manos. Not enough people know about that show. It's fucking Mexican grindhouse kung fu thriller. Like, it's so good. Rad. And I think 
that rounds out everything. Anything I can talk about. That's everything I can talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I love it. Amazing. Well, folks at home, thank you for listening to this one. And remember, talk to your kids about Cthulhu. (laughs) Bye. Goodbye. Leighton Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Night, on Instagram at Leighton underscore Night, or email us at LeightonKnight at gmail.com. <laughs>